I have a dream that all men are created Back to your story. I'm your host Ian Kath. This is episode 29. It's been a long time. Sorry folks I haven't been around but life's been just getting in the way a little bit unfortunately lately and uh, there's been a lot of uh, priorities I've had to deal with. But at long last we've got managed to get managed to get episode 29 out and I'm a little bit excited about getting this out here too because it's, yeah, it's all about your health. Now sorry about the background noise, you may or may not be able to hear it underneath the music but the wind is blowing a gale outside, uh, front came through last night and I'll close the place up as much as I can but I don't know if I'm managing to shut it out, we'll see. The site of course, yourstorypodcast.com, go over there, leave a comment at the end of the post, I'd love to hear from you, you can send me an email, also chat at yourstorypodcast.com, it's always good to hear from you, let me know what you think. If you want to make a comment somewhere else and uh, basically help me along with a bit of Google juice, you can stumble or dig me. And uh, if you want to, you can go to iTunes. Uh, there's a link there so you can actually, on the site, to uh, go to iTunes so you can actually post a comment in iTunes like my good friend Tony did. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate that, mate. Uh, yeah, you can go and do all that sort of stuff. And you can also go and link to Iota Promonet, where the music comes from. Uh, Iota are the, is a lovely organisation that promotes artists by giving me a couple of tracks to using the podcast here and uh, it all helps the artist to be promoted and if you like what you hear you can actually go over and buy the music too and that helps the artist directly rather than just helping me so it's all good spread the love around that's what it's all about today's show is from stephanie stephanie's a uh, lovely woman i've had the good fortune to meet it took us a lot of time to actually hook up we tried to get this together back in way back in march and uh, unfortunately it just fell apart we just weren't able to hook up you know i think the gods were working against us to uh, prevent us from seeing each other back then but we managed to get together and it was a great yarn and i enjoyed meeting her a great deal Um, and you'll understand why when you get into this because stephanie's got a passion for educating you to the dangers of vaccination now a lot of people are going to find that very controversial because we're all told that vaccinations are good for us And Stephanie is here to tell us that that's not necessarily the way it is. It's from her point of view, and it it all comes from an experience that she will tell us about. Um, And this is what I like about Stephanie, is that she doesn't demand that we take her point of view. She's not like a preacher with a sermon. She's not stomping her feet up and down and demanding that we do something. And frankly, I think a lot of doctors could actually take from her her method And her method is really quite simple, and I respect it a great deal, and that is educate yourself, people. Educate yourself. Go out, find the information, learn, take responsibility for the consequences of your life, and then make your decisions based on that. That's ultimately the truth, really, isn't it? If you go to a doctor and you just say, I'm sick, fix me, you abdicate responsibility if something goes wrong or if they give you bad advice because you've given them all the responsibility. 
Uh, she's simply saying, you know, if you want to go to a doctor, go to a doctor. If you want to not go to a doctor, don't. But take the information that you gain and work with that. And I think she does it really quite brilliantly. And we've got lots of links over at the site for you to be able to help yourself with a bit more education. Yes, so go to the site. It's yourstorypodcast.com and over there you'll find plenty of links and uh, you can go and see if the points that she's made are valid or not. It's up to you. And uh, yeah, if you don't agree or if you do agree, please comment. I would love to know what people think out there. And uh, and if you are going to make some comments, um, dig up a little bit of information before you just start ranting and raving at me. I'd love to... Uh, get some more information about these things i think it's a really important subject that she brings up here and uh it's important to all of our healths there's a lot of stuff going on in this world of uh, vaccination at the moment and i think she uh will add to the uh information that's out there very well this is stephanie's story It's the 11th of November, 2008. I'm sitting in uh, the eastern Brisbane suburb of Cleveland with Stephanie. And Stephanie's going to fill me in on a few things which I don't know much about and tell me a little bit about responsibility of the way we should be about ourselves and our health. And she's got some quite strong opinions from what I've been told. So let's have a bit of a chat, Steph. Okay. Tell me about yourself. What are you interested in? Um, primarily, I'm interested in nature and how nature dictates how we should be living. Mm-hmm. And um, that leads to thinking about how our health and what we do to our health that is unnatural, that gets us off the path and causes us to have disease. So... My main um, mission in life these days is to educate people about how to stay healthy. Do you have a, um, a formal education process? Do you, are you a teacher in this? Are you a naturopath? No, 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 I have no formal education. I've just... Um, are you a practitioner? No, no, I'm happy to say I'm not. So I don't have the responsibility. Uh, I just, I've been studying it for well over 30 years, although probably even longer because I was brought up in a natural way by my parents. Um, when it wasn't really fashionable to be like that either. I mean, we, were, we weren't hippies by any standards, but my mother always made sure that, you know, we had food that wasn't processed other than the little bit of cooking she did to it. And, um, yeah, we lived a pretty natural life. So you see yourself more as an advocate, I suppose. Hmm. An advocate for natural health, yeah. basically. A knight in shining armour no. on her. White stallion. No, 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 not at all. Not at so, all. who are you fighting? It sounds like you. You know, it sounds like a mission. It's. It sounds like more than just a, an education process. It sounds almost like a crusade. Well, I'm fighting against the ignorance that's out there, and that ignorance is continually. Um, supported by drug companies, by the medical industry. You're talking about pharmaceutical companies here? Yep. Yep. Um, The medical industry and governments, and um, governments through their ignorance. And, yeah, I just think if people have the information about how to stay healthy, they will be healthy. 
and we won't have the big problems with these you know, multi-billion dollar health budgets that we can't uh, meet. So what are you doing to educate people? How are you promoting this? We have um, two groups. We have the Vaccination Awareness and Information Service, which primarily just deals with the vaccination issue, which is a very big issue on its own. So you talk about all vaccinations here? Uh, well, we focus mostly on children's vaccinations, but we, we do touch a little bit on travel vaccines and um, things like flu shots. Right. But the main interest, I think, is for children because you know, they're the, the innocent victims of a lot of this. So... Okay, so you've got two groups. That's one group. That's that group. And then our sister group is Healthy Lifestyles Naturally. So we run support groups in Brisbane and Gold Coast and um, the Sunshine Coast where we just get like-minded people as in people who want to be raising their children in a natural, healthy way. So we get them together to support them. We usually have guest speakers come along and um, just give them ideas about what's out there. So that they, if they do, you know, a lot of the time they're practitioners who do give up their time um, to come and speak. So people are often confused about what practitioner to go to if their child is unhealthy or if they have a certain problem. So we like to break down those barriers so that people have a wide um, view of natural health. What would you... Uh, have you got children of your own? Mm-hmm. Okay. And did you raise them with these? Yeah, uh, okay. I did. So when your kids got sick, mm-hmm. did they go to the doctors? No. Never? I My 24-year-old went to the doctor once when he was 13 months old. Right. And then he went when he was, I don't know, about 12 or 13. And that was only because he had lots of moles on his back. Yep. And they did a story on 60 Minutes, so I thought I'll just take him to get those moles checked out. In case they were cancerous, melanoma type situation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, apart from that, until he was in his late teens and started drinking alcohol and all sorts of um, things like that that teenagers do, he, he stayed pretty healthy all of his life. He would get sick about once a year. More of the cold? No, it would usually be... Raging fever um, and, yeah, mucus and stuff like that, headaches and things. But, you know, that's just how the body cleans out. Okay. Because everyone can take in a certain amount of toxins and we're taking them in whether we're leading a natural life or not. So why not go to the doctor in that situation? Why not take him to the doctor? The poor little fellow's distressed and he's doing it hard and he's got a fever and parents worried. He wasn't distressed because he trusted that I could get him well. Right. But a lot of parents don't have that confidence. A lot of parents will go, they're concerned for the kids. Exactly. And that's why we're there to support them because they don't have the confidence. And we don't tell people not to take their kids to the doctor. If they want to do that, that's fine. Um, but we try to support them so that they have more confidence to handle basic things at home, not be running off to the doctor all the time for nearly nothing. And then they just get antibiotics given to them when it's not even a relevant medication. And then the side effects for that, and it just spirals in. So we try and educate them before the kids get sick that, you know, these are some things you can do if your child's getting a fever then you don't need to run off to the doctor. That's a natural way for the body to burn off bacteria so that they're not fearing a fever. And we just suggest that they give lots of water. But if they feel more comfortable going off to the doctor, go to a doctor. We're not practitioners. We're just there to 
pass on information that we that have worked for us as parents. Some people would say because you're not practitioners, <laughs> the advice compared to a doctor is dangerous. They could, but you know, the medical industry kills about eighteen thousand people a year in hospitals for causes other than what they went there for. So I'm not giving advice anyway. I give them my opinion as a parent and I make that really clear. If someone calls me and said, oh, my child's got whooping cough, what will I do? I'll say, well, you know I'm not a practitioner. I'll tell you what I would do if I was you being the parent, but take it or leave it. And I would tell them then what I would do. Okay, well, we're talking about whooping cough. Let's talk about immunisation. Mm-hmm. Um, children here in Australia get triple antigen. It's mm-hmm. a shot, isn't it? And that's for that's whooping... That's one of them, yeah. Yeah, that's whooping cough, diphtheria... And, tetanus. And is it tetanus in that, is mm-hmm. it? Okay. Um, what's your opinion on that? You know, Because that's been around for, what, 30, 40 years now? No, much, much longer than that. 60-plus years that one has been in, used um, en masse. Um, my opinion on all vaccination, it doesn't matter if it's that one or the measles or whatever, is it's totally unnecessary. It's, Why? Why? Because Medical there's no industry. proof that it works. Not one shred of evidence that vaccination works. None. Okay. Now, I, I, I can't be the advocate for the other sure. side because I haven't got the necessarily can. the knowledge, yep. but I know that they would scream at you for that because mm-hmm. they would say they've done double-blind No, tests. they can't say that because they haven't. Uh, Never done one. Okay. This is the only thing to come out of a drug company that has not had a double-blind placebo test. Okay. I looked up a little bit in regards to the uh, Gardasil <laughs> yeah, immunisation at the moment, and that was said to be 25,000 double-blind placebo, and a significant number of women got uh, came up positive who were in the placebo group. And there wasn't a single case in the immunised group. Case of what? Case of what? Um, the virus creating precancerous. Well, it's far too early to tell for something like that. That's a load of rubbish that they would even say that that's been indicated from any trial. But the whole thing with medical um, studies to do with vaccination, anyway, is that. When they do the research, they are only looking for antibody, the the creation of an antibody level. Right. So if they say, right, well, 80% got an antibody level from this vaccine, so it's effective. But that's not a clinical out in the, out in the public, in the field trial. They do not know if that's going to stop cervical cancer at all. And the whole Gardasil thing is really, when you start reading the papers on it, it's they have made a very big leap to say that HPV virus causes cervical cancer. There is no proof of that, and I would challenge anyone to really read the documentation. What they're saying is that 70% of cervical the people who have cervical cancer have HPV virus. But if you read on a little bit further, it says that 70% of the entire population has HPV virus in them. That would probably include you and I. But that doesn't mean that we're going to get cervical cancer. What about the fact that we no longer have whooping cough, diphtheria? We do. Um, well, but the numbers, you know, you, I've, I've never 
I've never come across a child who's died from it in my life, mm-hmm. whereas back in the 30s it was a real threat. Um, smallpox has ceased to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, it hasn't. See, people think these things are gone, but there's smallpox outbreaks in Africa at the moment. And smallpox is a very interesting one because smallpox is actually a skin disease. The World Health Organization declared smallpox extinct 20 years or so ago. Mm, I know. Um, And I understand that the last outbreaks were in India Mm. and they went out there and they tracked them down and they medicated and they helped and they supported and they knocked on the last door and they found the last case and it didn't flare up again. That's my understanding. Okay, well, I read something probably three or four years ago. It could be a little bit longer. No, but, but, but this is this is eighty three. This was supposed to have happened or something yeah, like that, well, early eighties. I was reading something just a few short years ago about an outbreak of smallpox in Africa, one of the African countries. But the interesting thing with smallpox, people think that the vaccination got rid of it, and it did not. And in fact, the World Health Organization stopped the use of the smallpox vaccine because it was causing so many cases of smallpox and side effects that they decided that instead of doing that, they would just quarantine the people and only vaccinate the the ring of people who were immediate contact, as in only the people who lived in the home. Right. That they lived in, not even neighbours and people, just the people who lived in the home and they would quarantine them for a certain amount of time. And that's what the World Health Organisation says got rid of smallpox, not vaccination at all. So they starved it out of existence, basically. basically. Yeah. Okay. And whooping cough and all of these things, they've all gone up and down throughout history and over time they just peter out. Why? But, it's but just people, a natural people, cycle. People say immunisation is causing them to Well, they haven't. There's clear evidence with every disease that immunisation, and it's not immunisation, by the way, it's vaccination. Okay, okay. What about polio? Polio is a very good case. It's actually my very favourite disease to talk about because in 1956 they bought the polio vaccine to Australia and New Zealand. It had already been used for a year or so in the United States and I think parts of Europe. They bought it here in 56, which coincidentally was the same year we got television. It was all around the same time that they did this. And when the World Health Organization bought it here, they actually changed the diagnosis criteria for polio. So prior to 56, if you had severe headaches, nausea, diarrhoea, any or paralysis. Most people who had polio did not have paralysis. So if you had any of those symptoms for more than 24 hours, you were reported to the health department as a polio statistic. After 56, the World Health Organization said, well, forget all those symptoms. You now have to be paralysed for 60 days in order to be reported to the health department. Significantly more catastrophic condition. Yeah, well, as I said, only a small number of people actually got paralysed for that long. Some were paralysed for 30 days, Mm. some for 40. But even today, that's the diagnosis for polio. So if you're paralysed for 59 days, you haven't got polio. But if it's 60 or 61 days... Do people still get polio? Yes. How is it treated? We We don't have people in iron lungs anymore, do we? Um, other than from, no, other they're than from mostly the... on asthma medication these days. 
ventolin and all things like that. We do, we do have polio, but the interesting thing about the, those statistics, so um, prior to 56, and I'm, I'm just pulling these numbers out of a hat, I can't remember exactly, but it was something like 1,030 cases of polio prior to 56. After 56, it drops to 100. And then everyone says, oh, look what the vaccine did. Well, it didn't. It did nothing. In fact, for a couple of years after, there was a big spike in polio. But it just petered out just like all of the other Okay, so why, why are all, if it's not because of the vaccines, and that's what mm-hmm. the pharmaceuticals want us to believe, sure. you, know, you can understand the marketing if you're going, yeah, going yeah. they're evil. Mm-hmm. So um, why did they die out? What's your argument for the reason that all these diseases have faded away? Well, it's not my argument, but it's the argument that's put out there by people who've researched this, lots of natural health people, and some doctors, by the way, will show that the decrease in a lot of these diseases happened when the sanitation got cleaned up, when we got um, cleaner water, healthier food, and those are the sorts of things supplied by nature to keep you well. Okay, so better living conditions and general health, basically. And nearly every disease that there's a vaccine for was more than 90% gone before the vaccination came in. So you have to look at what got rid of it, the 90%. And just looking at a a holistic view of how the world operates and microbes and animals and things, I mean, everything has a life and they, you know, they go, come and go and new ones emerge. And that's what seems to happen. I don't know much about it. Can you educate me to the um, uh, the negative aspects of uh, vaccinations? Well, the government says that they're safe and effective and neither of those things are true. They are not safe and that's really easy to determine um, a couple of ways. One, because Japan stopped vaccinating little babies in the late 70s because they had a very high SIDS rate, one of the highest SIDS rates in the world. And straight away, the SIDS rate dropped to nearly nothing. So SIDS was at you know, the time, the three times that shots were given when babies were very young, that's when the, the SIDS rate was, and it's the same here in Australia and just about every Western country, I think, that I've looked at the figures. SIDS is sudden infant death syndrome. That's right. For those who don't know. Yeah. And the second thing that is very glaring is countries where vaccination is compulsory, like the United Kingdom, sorry, the United States, Ireland. Um, There's a few countries that do have some compulsory vaccination, but they also have a compensation fund for people who are damaged from it, which straight away tells you that it's not safe if you get people damaged. Mm -hmm. So the US one is um, paid out about $2 billion dollars. And most people think, oh, yeah, all over there they just sue you know, sue and get enormous amounts of money. That's actually not true for this fund. They've set certain amounts that are, that are fairly low. Like if you, your child died, you only get $25,000. That's what a life's worth. That's what a baby's life's worth. Hmm. So they, in America they will openly admit that vaccines cause damage and clearly they cause a lot of damage. Their um, federal drug and um, the FDA over there, they estimate that only about 10% of vaccine reactions are even reported. So 
Yeah. The argument is, the argument is that um, uh, yes, there is a negative reaction mm-hmm. to a small number, but that is outweighed by the greater community good. Mm-hmm. Some I've heard the argument that by not maintaining vaccination for things like say whooping cough, there is a real threat that whooping cough will come back and make a stronger resurgence because okay. there aren't enough people out there to stop the transmission of it. Whereas at the moment, there might be a few rare cases, but there's enough people breaking the transmission because they're immunised. That's mm-hmm. the argument I've heard. Okay. That argument actually flies right out the window when you look at the J- Japanese example, and that is that after they stopped vaccinating little babies, there were, were a lot fewer children died from whooping cough than were from SIDS, and they had an epidemic a couple of years after of, of whooping cough. Right. But epidemics are happening in fully vaccinated populations all over the world. So that's why it's well documented that that vaccination doesn't work. But they had an epidemic, I think about two years after they stopped vaccinating, and it had actually moved much more into the age group that it was before vaccination. So it moved into the three to ten year age group and in that age group there are very few deaths from whooping cough unless a child already has a um, compromised immune system they can cope with whooping cough that's not pleasant it's not a pleasant disease but they can cope with it and natural health tells us that then after they have had um, whooping cough their lungs are much stronger so it does have a benefit right right what do you think of um, big pharmaceutical companies? I think that if they folded up tomorrow, there'd be an enormous number of people who got well and um, would survive. Okay. Mm. There's very few incidences where I think that they're even needed at all. And it saddens me when I see we have a lot of elderly people living around here and, and um, I'll go and visit them and they've got... You know, they take 10, 15 pills every morning. And some of those are just to combat the side effects from previous ones. In fact, an old neighbour of mine, he's passed away now, but he was on a lot of pills. I can't remember how many right now, but he um, had uh, kidney failure, so was rushed off to hospital. He got a new doctor that he'd never seen before at the hospital and told him that he wasn't having any of these pills except one, which I think was his um, blood pressure medication. And so they just took him off every other pill and he was just on that one and he was he got better. Right. <laughs> so, mm, okay. you know, I don't... Yeah, I haven't taken a pill in about 15 years and even then it was just a... a um, headache tablet because I was on Fraser Island and I'd already suffered through this headache about three days and I thought that's enough I've done what I can Um, but yeah and I'd raise my children drug free so okay if somebody was listening to this and they go okay this is all well and good but how do I do it how do I how do I educate myself how do I you know like there might be somebody out there who's thinking about having kids in the next Mm -hmm. couple of years and they think okay well I'd like to at least explore this yep how do they do that? Well, they start reading books about natural health and about what nature intended for us, just like every other animal. If we don't live by nature's laws, then we suffer the consequences of that. So 
you know, as I've said to my kids and, and friends too, all you have to do if you're faced with a decision about your health in particular, look at what nature intended. What's the best thing according to nature that you can be doing? If you don't want to do it, then that's fine, but just be ready for the consequences for that because there will be some at some point. We, you know, we mess around with nature. We do pay a price at some point. But I'm not, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm speaking for people because mm-hmm. I know this is what goes through their minds. Yep. I don't know what to do. And I've got a busy life and I've got to you know, live my life mm-hmm. and I trust a doctor because they've gone and done six, at least six years of education mm-hmm. and they're trained and I trust them to be able to advise me. Doctors are trained in illness. They're not trained in health. So if you want to learn about health, why would you go to a doctor? Because so. they know what, how to fix me when I'm sick. Well, they know about sickness, but really even a lot of doctors don't even know about sickness. They know about prescribing pills. There was um, a few years ago the Doctor Weekly magazine, which subscribers are only doctors, did a survey and the people who responded said that they get 94% of their information from drug company salespeople who travel around. 94% of their information after medical school. But um, Dr. Ian Brighthope, who is a um, Victorian doctor, uh, started a nutritional college a few years ago. And he was saying that when he was in medical school, which is probably about 30-something years ago now, but he put his hand up in the first weeks of medical school to ask a question. And he was told to put his hand down, don't even bother asking questions, just learn what you've got to learn and you'll get through the exam. That's it. And they're not, they're not allowed to think so it's outside ex- of, of what they're it's being a, It's taught. exam answering rather right. than education. Exactly. Now they get an education when they get out to be interns and you know, in the field, but still they're putting into practice the things that they've learnt and the things that are being passed down from whoever's teaching them in the field as well. So not much is changing um, with the majority of them. There are doctors who very much support um, our health groups, though, who do not vaccinate children anymore. Um, they stay quite behind the scenes because um, people like Brendan Nelson, when he was the head of the AMA in New South Wales, he got on to, um, I think it was a current affair, and said that any doctor who speaks out against vaccination will be stricken from the register. So... You have to wonder why you have to threaten your own people about speaking up about something they believe in. Mm. Mm. And another interesting um, experience that I had, I was being interviewed on um, ABC Radio once. This is probably going back close to 10 years now when Dr Wooldridge was our Federal Health Minister. And the person interviewing me was very much for vaccination and... Um, I don't even know how I came to be on there, but we were supposed—I was supposed to have a debate with Dr. Waldridge, and he came on while I was waiting on the line before the interview or the debate had started. And he said that um, Dr. Waldridge has refused to debate you, and he won't even go on if you, you know. And I said, "Well, that's really unfair. What's he scared of?" And because this is a medical doctor and the head of our health, mm. you know. So um, 
Anyway, I asked the interviewer to go back and ask Dr Waldridge what he was scared about. And he came back on and said that um, Dr Waldridge has agreed for you to speak and then he will speak after, but that's it. Not, not a debate. Hmm. And um, so I agreed to that because I had no choice. And I was on for probably about three or four minutes. And then Dr. Waldridge came on and he got about 20 to 25 minutes airtime and um, said how dangerous people like me are and how we should have our children taken from us Mm -hmm. because we're negligent, clearly. And um, the interviewer, who, as I said to you, was very pro-vaccine, at the end of it he said... Well, if these groups that have sprung up all over the country are so dangerous, why don't you, as the health minister, just give parents the information? And then these groups will no longer mm, exist. Wither on the vine. Yeah. And this is what he said. He said, the studies have shown when you give parents too much information about immunisation, they won't do it. Hmm. So why would you want to do it then? You wouldn't, by definition. You've, you've got some information that you don't want to do it. I wonder what the information is. It's stuff you know. We only give people information about what we find, and mostly we find it in medical journals. Do you have access to this list of information? Can what I list of well, information? All, all this information. What I'd like to do is put up on the website attached to this podcast mm-hmm. links to places where people can do a bit more research if sure. they want. Yeah, there's a lot of websites now. We don't have our own website because there are so many sure. websites for people to go to and but there's so can, many resources yeah, available. Yeah. And, and I'm not interested in republishing it either, mm-hmm. but if I can just have that mass yeah, of links, absolutely. I'd love people to be able to come to the to yeah. the site and then they can go from there on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That'd be great. Yeah, no, there, there are. There's, there's a very good um, DVD just been done. Or no, actually, it's not new, but it's only come to me fairly um, recently. That um, done by a doctor in the America who was an emergency room GP used to vaccinate people with tetanus. If you walked in, you had blood coming out of you. You got a tetanus mm. shot. Mm. Anyway, she. Um, was a bit concerned because she was hearing little bits and pieces about vaccinations being dangerous. So she actually set about to prove that everyone was wrong, that they aren't dangerous. So she decided she would only go to one source, and that was the Centre for Disease Control in America who makes decisions about what vaccines people get. And um, all the material is by credible researchers, doctors, all referenced, yada, yada. So she is there and got so much information. She's put a DV together proving that vaccines aren't safe, they're not effective, and the government knows. So why are the government still behind pushing them? Because if any politician who spoke out, and there have been some who have spoken out against vaccination, have come to fairly quick ends right. in their political career. So it would be political suicide. Okay. Mm. Um, a couple of other things I want to cover with you. I want to talk about um, preservatives in the vaccines. I don't know much about them. Can you educate me to the preservative aspect of the vaccines? Well, there's a number of preservatives that are used. The one that they point the most... Um, fingers at causing problems is the thymersal, which is a mercury derivative. But there's also aluminium in there as well. 
and now yeah. this is to give give them shelf life so that yes. they can transport them to where they're going to be used and all that sort of stuff isn't it well i'm that's one thing but i'm not sure i'm not, well a preservative mm-hmm. that's what a, a preservative does but there are different functions there's a lot of other things beside preservatives no, and things that like, like formaldehyde you know and if you formaldehyde should never even be coming into our bodies mercury shouldn't be coming into our bodies if you call the poison control people and ask how much mercury is safe to put in your body they'll say no none yet it's in the some of these vaccines but doesn't mean it's toxic and we do have the ability to be able to withstand some levels of toxins Mm. before they endanger us um well, yeah. mercury just accumulates in the body. Sure, and we, can't, and we will... can't excrete it. No, well, um, I, I haven't read anything to say you can yet. Yeah, but um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, like, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. in that maybe a small amount of ingestion of some harm, potentially harmful things is okay so long as you don't accumulate too much over your life, in which case it would then manifest into an, something nasty. Mm-hmm. Everything is poisonous. It's only the quantity that causes uh, it to be poisonous. I don't completely agree with that. Oh, if I put you in enough water, you'll drown, and then it becomes poisonous. <laughs> okay, I, agree. I know that. But like th- this whole melamine thing in the milk in China yeah. is a very good example. Hmm. A very, very small amount of melamine in the body causes kidney stones. Right. And, of course, in a little, a little a baby, the kidneys are so small that it's just a very, very small amount. So sure. it wasn't even the amount. It was you know, any... Yeah. And melamine's a plastic at the end of the day. Mm. So what's it doing in food? Mm. You know, That's yeah. right. But what's mercury doing in the human body? It's not supposed well, it's to be... Well, requi- it's required as a preservative for vaccines. Well, and and, and do, they, do they have any other ways of... Yes, because they've taken it out of most vaccines. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's very few now that still have mercury in it. So... They have been, there's been lots of congressional hearings about this in the United States. And I hate to be talking about America all the time, but unfortunately, the Australian government, and it doesn't matter which political party, the government and the medical industry here just have their head in the sand about all of this because they don't want to be sued, so they're not going to admit that there's anything. But mercury has been shown to cause things like... um, well, they're pointing at it causing autism. Now, we have an autism epidemic in Australia. Just the other night on TV, there was an ad for the autism groups trying to get funds, and they had on there that one in 160 children in Australia have autism. That's an incredible epidemic, and it has been around since mass vaccination, and the more vaccinations we're giving, the more autism we're getting. Now, at the moment, there's a bill before Congress in the United States to get a study done to compare vaccinated with unvaccinated children. Now, this has been tried before, and they've knocked it on the head all the time, saying that, oh, there's not enough non-vaccinated children. But there's a Congress lady who's come up with 125,000 non-vaccinated children. They are the Amish community. Mm the homeschooling community in the United States, which is growing all the time because they, you actually have to vaccinate when you get into the school system over there. And the other community is um, a group of medical practitioners on the outskirts of Chicago. There's six different clinics. They've got over 30,000 children in those six clinics. 
and they are a non-vaccinating clinic. So all of the kids there do not have autism with the exception of a very few who have come to the centre after already being vaccinated elsewhere. Right. So this lady has got 125,000 non-vaccinated children to compare. So to the rest of the population. Mm. Yeah. Or to a group that they want to put forward as, as vaccinated children. Yep. Mm. Um, but we know already there's no no autism in the Amish community. That's been very well publicised. Okay. It has been brought out by some of these celebrities now who have autistic children. Because over there, it's actually one in 140 children have autism. Um, about three years ago, Professor Ian Fraser and his colleague, I can't remember his name, developed the, um, the vaccine for cervical cancer. It's for, for the, HPV virus. For, for the, mm-hmm. Yes, for the... Uh, what, is it, what does HPV stand for? Uh, Something papilloma, papilloma virus, virus. Yeah. human papilloma yeah, virus. Yes, I think it might be right. Um, which is the precursor to cervical cancer. Supposedly. Supposedly, yes. And he got Australian of the Year for that, and I think in 06. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's a Brisbane boy. He lives here in Brisbane. Mm. Um, that has been rolled out now around mm-hmm. Australia, and there are 15 to 26-year-old girls and women who are getting these three shots, mm-hmm. under the name Gardas, as we mentioned it earlier. And that is now rolling out around the world. Mm-hmm. And I've heard the US is insisting that if you come into the US, you have to get it for migration purposes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's rolling out all over the world. Yep. Um, what's, your, what's your thoughts about this? Because it's probably the biggest and um, most significant vaccination program that we've seen in quite a long time. Well, they're not. For one thing, they're not going to know for twenty odd years if it's even doing anything. And secondly, as we discussed before, there's no proof that HPV causes cervical cancer. They're, in the United States, there've already been in excess of eighteen deaths from the vaccine that they've directly attributed to the vaccine. And remember that the FDA says only ten percent of of reactions are reported. So because what happens is a child will get have a reaction to something and the doc, if they go back to the doctor who did it or they go to an emergency room, you ha- you're counting on that person who sees you to say that, oh, that's a reaction. Yep. And you're also it. counting on the parent who it might be a week later to say, oh, my child had a shot a week ago. The parent mightn't be linking that up to being a vaccine reaction. Mm because most parents don't get to see the product insert that the drug company tells you all the things that's happened um, in the trials. So I'm really against that whole vaccine because they're playing guinea pigs with the next generations of breeding humans. Right. um, My daughter is 17. Mm-hmm. And she's had these shots, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't even know that she'd had them until she'd already had them. Mm. And I, I didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. It just it just happened, and I went right. Okay, well, fair enough. You know, it's mm-hmm. done. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the way it is. I um, and I don't know. I don't know mm. how I feel about any of this. Mm. You know, because I'm not educated well enough. That's you one should reason. know. You're the parent of that child. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But it just slipped through. Yep. 
you know. Well, that's how they like it to happen. Yeah. They yeah. like it just to slip on through. And um, my daughter, who was 18, didn't have it, and, and quite a few of her friends didn't have it because I sent their mothers a lot of information. So they made an informed decision and mm. not to do that. It's, it's one big experiment that's going on at the moment. And when they were doing it last year, when they kicked it off early last year, and girls were fainting, some got paralysed, all sorts of things were happening to a lot of girls being hospitalised. And the health minister at the time just came out and said, oh, well, girls get very emotional about shots. What's that about? That's not taking their side effects seriously at all. One girl was um, paralysed and hospitalised for over a week. And they're trying to say it's just all in a mind. Now, I know, I know the medicos would say um, even if there is a little bit of damage, like you were talking about before, it is a price to be paid for not having cervical cancer in the future. I know you they know, say It's that. a numbers game. Well, they can say it's a numbers game, but, you know, it's really interesting. If Let's say they say that one in 100,000 people who get that shot is going to die. Let's just say that that's the figure. So you're the parent with that 100,000th kid. And I say, well, this is the one. Are you going to say, I'll give it to my kid anyway? Well, you never know. That's, no, that's but it. let's just say that that is. Um, it, it's a very difficult thing because my kid could also have the cervical cancer number too. And there could be five, well, times, as, five times as many kids with that one. And that's the mm -hmm. argument that's given across is that that's right. the and numbers that's... are larger for the cervical cancer than they are for the damage given by any immunisation. That's because they, don't re they, they deny that's side right. effects. They deny the deaths are happening. Right? Yeah. And there's no proof that the HPV virus even causes it. In fact, I was reading some research the other day that was saying that if you have had that vaccine after you already are infected with HPV virus, it raises your risk of getting cancer by 44%. So if you're, take in your mid-20s and you've already picked up the virus, mm -hmm. it's dangerous to have the... It's more dangerous. It right. raises your risk by 44%. Right. Because I know they're moving into the older age groups now, aren't they? And the younger, up to nine-year-old children. Wow. Mm. Okay. Now, because it's not appropriate to go into all the facts and figures here, but mm -hmm. all this is searchable. Oh, with, absolutely. With a lot of these So much information about and, Gardasil and, and the dangers. And you can now. give me a big chunk of these links? Yep. Okay, that okay. people can then absolutely. go off and network through to elsewhere? Yep. Great. That would yep. be wonderful. And then they can do their own research. Yeah, that's I, what we want. I want this to be a precursor to them doing their own education. Yep. Oh, so do we. Yeah. I want, that's what taking responsibility for your health is about. So when you're faced with something, you get on there and you research it. I send out information about all of these things to people, but I also say go on to this site, particularly getting the dads to go on to particular sites to have a look because mm. they'll often read things on the internet more than reading a bit of paper in front of them. What are your thoughts about um, it being compulsory in so many ways that you can't get into preschools and schools um, that... Um, um, I heard an unfortunate, terrible, it's not more than an unfortunate case in New Zealand where a girl was um, basically said no to the um, Gardasil shot and the doctor pulled it to one side and said, we understand this is what you think, and while they were having a discussion, jabbed it. 
He should be locked up. That's criminal behaviour. That's assault. And Hamwell actually had uh, the parents had declined the permission slip. Yeah. yeah. So that's assault. He should be locked up. That's what I think about that. Okay. What about the compulsory aspect of it? Because, like I said, you know, um, isn't it better to? Um, okay. If if the system believes that um, for the greater good, we need to make it compulsory. Well, the system, you have to look at the system and why it believes it. We change our beliefs all the time when we get more information. They're just beliefs. They're not really knowledge until you've actually experienced something yourself. So we have lots of beliefs about lots of things. You know, people used to think that, believe that the earth was flat, but we got more information. Now we know it isn't. And until they can totally prove that vaccination is safe and effective then it should never be made compulsory. Never, ever, ever. And I know they can never prove that. They can never prove it because it isn't. How do, how do people avoid the compuls, compulsory aspect of it? It's not compulsory in Australia to vaccinate with anything. It, it, it's not? There is no, no compulsion not, in Australia? There is no compulsory vaccination in Australia. So the what about what people, about in the US and places like that where they're bringing compulsion or if they're going to bring compulsion in here in Australia? Well, vaccination is compulsory in the United States and they're trying to stop it from being compulsory because so many children are being damaged and the parents are left to pick up the tab at the end and you know, their lives are forever altered because they have this damaged child. And we're not just talking about a child who... You know, we're talking about major things happening like... Um, there's a lady here, a member of our group, whose child is damaged and has severe epilepsy. <clears throat> this family's whole life revolves about that ch- around that child being epileptic and having so many seizures. Their life is forever, ever altered because they did that. They had that child vaccinated and didn't know. So anyway, in Australia, we do not have compulsory vaccination and we should never have it. It should always be a parent's right to make an informed decision. And unfortunately, the majority of people who do vaccinate their children or have their children vaccinated don't make an informed decision. They make a decision based on fear and ignorance. And that's just not good enough. That's pretty negligent. Have you... um, You said that you were raised this way. I was raised a relatively natural way. Right, and then you've just continued to educate yourself. Yep. So you, well, as I've had children, I, as a mother, I wanted to do the best for my kids. So um, I did, um, well, unfortunately, I didn't look into the vaccination issue with my first um, child because, you know, I, I didn't know there was an issue. <laughs> I, didn't, you know, I, I never knew there was any issue. I, was, I had this baby and I was told um, to bring the baby back at two months for its shots had no idea what the shots were for, nothing, not a thing. I just did the obedient thing and went and had that done. Now, luckily for my other three children, I didn't do that. I got um, wise after the fact. What happened to the first child? Well, he had major seizures and um, ended up from... At his first shots, he had seizures and um, persistent crying. At his second lot of shots at four months, he had those symptoms and 
a lot more and he actually never thrived from the day of his four month shots. So he remained, he died at 15 months and he was still like a four month old baby. So he never progressed past that stage. Bugger. So, but it was, you know, what, you know, that was my wake up call to get back to, um, you know, taking responsibility and it wasn't till then that I even knew that there was any problem. But once I was aware of that, and you know, we're talking in the 70s, there was no internet. Mm. So to find out information, it wasn't easy. But I did come across some books and I happened to see a show on TV and occasionally I'd see a newspaper article and just little bits and started putting everything together and to know that um, that wasn't a good thing to do and I was never doing it again. And the three children who followed mm-hmm. have never been vaccinated? No, no, no vaccines. And Joshua, who's 24, has not even ever had an antibiotic. Toby has had one dose of an antibiotic when he was two years old. He's now 22. I gave him one dose because he had um, bacterial pneumonia. And so... I was thought, okay, we'll just give him a dose and see what happened. Well, his body started turning around straight away. He started um, getting well. So I just watched so him. So that one dose was enough to get him it was. get him over the to, hump yeah, to start recovering. Exactly. It's and a bit like taking the aspirin so you can get a good night's rest so you can recover. Yeah. Yep. And my daughter's 18 and she's never had any antibiotics either. And the three of them have got good health? <laughs> They have health, which is determined by what they're doing to immune systems at the time. Right. And But they were raised with good immune systems. Okay. But, um, and they have the same parentage as the first child? No. Okay. Okay. No. Same mother? Yes. Okay. So. Same mother. No, okay. No. And the, <laughs> yes. re- no, the reason I ask those private questions, mm-hmm. and thank you for answering them, is, right. is um, the, you know, there's a sequence there, you mm. know, and if it's... You know, if it's the same and you've got one strikingly different, mm. you know, there's something. But that first child was not strikingly different until he... And, and, well, that's my point. If yeah. there's nothing different until the, you know, the shots come through mm. and then there's something profound compared to the other three, mm. it's... But he was a very healthy little happy baby. Right. And um, at the first shots at two months old, he was not happy for about... Probably a week, the best right. part of a week. But now a lot of kids get a, good. Yeah, a lot of kids get a little bit of a fever that first day. That we're told well, they about should. this. Yeah. yeah. If your body's working properly, when you've got toxins go in, you should get a fever. Yeah, and they, they all say that. Yeah, you know, they might be a bit cranky for a day or two, yep. and a little bit of a fever, and then they all recover. That's what we're told. Hmm. Well, he wasn't just cranky. He did um, a lot of very shrill crying that wasn't regular baby crying right major distress and now i found out that that's actually the first sign of brain damage uh, yeah it's unlike any cry or scream you would hear from under any circumstances for a little baby and i've heard it one other time when i was in a room with a baby who'd just been vaccinated the mother had actually come to um to this other person's house with her three little boys and the littlest one had just been vaccinated and it was doing the same thing. And I told her, but she wasn't interested. Any idea how that little child's turned out? No, because I didn't really know them. Okay, I just wondered if you may have heard a number of years later. No. Okay. I didn't, and I didn't, yeah. Didn't really want to. (laughs) In um, 
we, we tried to put this together way back in March and we had all sorts of <laughs> things getting our way and we weren't able to do this recording. And since then, um, I've travelled overseas and you've travelled overseas. Have you been doing your advocacy thing? Has that been part of the travels? No. No, no not at all. I, um, I travelled to China. I've been, I'd been there twice before in 2001, oh no, 2002 and 2003, teaching English. Oh, okay. Um, so that's why I went there, but I did actually educate a lot of kids <laughs> about natural health when I was there and about the dangers of vaccination as well, which okay. they were very surprised about um, because they... I, I would think that China, with their huge Taoist philosophy that's been around for years with acupuncture and moxa and all that sort of thing would not be as susceptible as we are in the West or is it creeping in? Oh no, they are big time because they want to be just like the West. They have you know, a bit of an inferiority complex really about um, their whole systems of doing a lot of things and, and unfortunately Chinese medicine is going to be one of the casualties of that because um, they just embrace everything that the West puts out. So, no, their kids, uh, there's a lot of vaccination goes on. Not as much as our kids, um, from what I can gather. But the numbers are so huge over there, it's a lot lot of money. A lot of money, a lot of money. And a lot of the drugs, the vaccines are actually produced in China for American companies and for French, French companies. So, yes, they are... But I, yeah, I had 880 students the first year I was there, and I let them all know about it right. to, for them to um, educate their parents. Okay, well, Stephanie, in order to wrap this up, what would you, how would you like to wrap it up? What would you like to say to anybody listening to this? If they're a parent now, and like me, and have done the deed, and it's too late, or to people who are yet to be parents. Okay, well, firstly, it's never too late because there's an ongoing lot of vaccines. There's 105 vaccines in the pipeline right now for parents, for adults and children. So don't think it's ever too late because it isn't. Um, But just to become fully informed on things and make decisions based on education, not on fear. Because the whole medical industry revolves around us being fearful and not knowing that we can actually control whether we're getting sick or not. That the the times going where we're you know thinking that oh there's all these germs just ready out there to waiting to attack us. We're now learning that we can keep our immune systems in good condition or relatively good condition and not get diseases. And that includes cervical cancer and a whole lot of other diseases. Um, so And there's one book that I would really love everyone to read, and it's probably the most important health book that's been written um, for decades, and it's called The China Study. And it's by a fellow um, by the name of T. Colin Campbell. And he is a very well-respected researcher in the United States. He's actually the fellow who blew the whistle on the whole cholesterol um, deal back, I think, in the early 70s. And he was able to show um, how uh, liver cancer comes about and he was actually able to control these rats getting liver cancer 
Um, they a lot of them got liver cancer, and then he played with their diet, so the liver cancer got away, and then he upped the, the animal protein in particular, and the liver cancer came back, and he was playing with these rats. And, and so he decided that he would... Um, get this work published and he's never ever had any problems getting anything published before over decades and um, the major magazines wouldn't touch it because it was saying that animal protein was the major cause of cancers and heart disease and that included a lot of cancers. Right, Mm. right. Okay, well I'll actually dig that up on Amazon so people can link through to it. Yep. Yep. We do sell it as well because it's just such a valuable book and okay. Vegetarian Society sells it as well. Okay. Well, I'll link, yeah. through, link. Have you got, have you got a, an access to your site or email and stuff like that? Yeah, well, my email address, which you've got. Okay. I'll put that on the site. Speak it out. What's, yeah. what's your email so people can write it down if it's you're just listening to this? growingawareness at hotmail.com. Okay. Yeah. And you just said you don't have an actual site? No. Okay. So I'll just, um, I'll just link I'll just build a whole series of links over on the site, yep. yourstorypodcast.com. That's where it's at. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah. So, so just take responsibility for your health. Don't rely on the medical industry or the food industry or, you know, the water board or any of these people. You've got to investigate the stuff yourself and see what nature intended. I, um, On a personal note, I have found that the way I live my life is primarily, I have the attitude of people come up to me during winter and they say, don't come too close, I've got a cold. I go, it doesn't matter, I've already got the virus. If I'm within cooey of you, I've got the virus. Mm. My priority is to stay healthy enough that I can live with the virus mm-hmm. that you've just given me. Excellent. And yeah. with that attitude, I rarely get sick. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I keep myself healthy enough so that I can manage the bugs that come through my yeah. system. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I think there's a lot to be said for what you said. Mm. We've got you know, thousands of viruses and bacteria in our bodies. Billions probably. Well, I've heard figures like, you know, maybe 50 or 80% of us is other organisms. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Stephanie, mm. thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Eight million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them.